1: Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get started with this week's episode, which is another story of a gold star spouse, I wanted to take a quick second to say thank you to everybody who continues to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. They are starting to build. Please continue to do that. Again, it doesn't have to be a lengthy review. Just a couple of quick thoughts on what you like about the show. Also, give us that five-star rating. And hopefully we can get into the top 100 Apple podcasts and continue to grow this Hazard Ground community. Make sure you follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hazard Ground at Hazard Ground Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and continue to spread the word. Of the Hazard Ground. Don't forget about our promotion with Amazon. Go to our website, hazardground.com. Click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage or under the sponsors tab. You'll be redirected to Amazon. You can also do the same thing from your smartphone. Just go to the website, hazardground.com, and it will redirect you right into your Amazon app. You do all of your normal Amazon shopping. We'll get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then we'll donate a percentage of what we get back to the great charities and foundations you've heard featured here on the Hazard Ground. And if you have a guest suggestion, Send us an email, producer hazardground.com, and we'll do our best to get your guests, your suggestions on the show. We love hearing from you guys about possible stories and stories that we don't know about. So you guys help us out a lot. We continue to put those guests on. So again, producer at hazardground.com, Send us an email with your suggestions and your thoughts, comments, anything you'd like to see changed about the show, and we'll do our best to get back to everybody. Again, we thank you for all your continued support. And now on to this week's episode. Joining us this week on the Hazard Ground podcast, once again, we go outside the bounds of a military member to tell an incredibly important story. It's one of a Gold Star Widow. Her husband was killed during Operation Red Wings. Many of you know that in late June of 2005, four Navy SEALs, and you have heard this story be told through the story of lone survivor. Four Navy SEALs were put in the mountains of Afghanistan, and when their mission was compromised, they sent in a rescue helicopter with 16 people on board, including eight Navy SEALs. That helicopter was shot down. All 16 of them were killed, including our guest's husband, Chief Petty Officer Jacques Fontaine. Our guest has gone on to write a book about her struggles in dealing with grief called A Beautiful Tragedy, A Navy SEAL's Widow's Permission to Grieve and a Prescription for Hope. She also works at multiple foundations in the SEAL community, and she is Char Fontan Westfall joining us on the Hazard Ground podcast. Shar, welcome, and thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me tonight.
1: Well, look, I, I do have to, again, say that I just appreciate your grace and your courage to tell this. I know this can't be easy. Uh, you may have done this several times before, but I, I imagine the pain and bringing it all together again sometimes can be more than you can bear. So I certainly appreciate uh, your willingness to to share Jacques' story and your story along with us.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I feel like if you don't share your story, I mean, how do you help others and, you know, how do you go on honoring, you know, the person you lost?
1: Well, we will get to the book uh, and the charities that you're working with coming up. And, you know, usually we start the podcast out with our military members about asking how they got into the military. But in your case, obviously not being in the military, why don't you just tell us how you met your husband, Jock, and and how that whole story came together?
0: Um, Sure. So I'm a Navy brat. My dad was 20 years in, and um, thankfully we didn't move around that much, um, but I still didn't love it. It wasn't something that I enjoyed doing. Um, and so I was grateful when he retired from the Navy. Um, oh gosh, when was that? I oh, I graduated in 94 from high school. So it probably was like 92 time frame He had spent 20 years in. And so I was able to spend my last, um, two years in Florida, graduate high school here. And, um, he stayed put. So, I was thankful for that. So even though I didn't join the military, I grew up in, you know, military family. And uh, that's how I knew I didn't want to be a military wife.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they do say like, you know, sons attract women who remind them of their mothers. Daughters attract men who remind them of their fathers.
0: Uh, Yeah. uh, My dad, like I said, 20 years. And then my brother graduated college and went into the Air Force. And then my sister ended up marrying a guy who's Army. And my dad was like, "I mean, I guess I'm proud that you know, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> did something right. A very patriotic family, for sure."
1: So, how did you and Jock cross
0: pass initially? So, I um, was home from college and um, for the summer, and I was a, always been a swimmer, and so I was a lifeguard out at the navy base, um, and then also a. a a swim team coach. And so him being stationed in Jacksonville at NES Jacks as a rescue swimmer instructor, our paths just crossed, um, being around at the pool. Um, a lot of the rescue swimmers would, you know, pick up extra shifts, you know, over, you know, lifeguarding pool parties or different things like that. So, um, that's, you know, how I met him and it was, uh, you know, I was like, I, I want to date that man. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we met. And, uh, I, he told me he was going to be getting out of the Navy and I said, okay, well then this will work because (laughs) you know then I'm not actually dating somebody who's going to be a career, uh, you know, military person. And, uh, I remember what we were like a year into dating and he said, all right, well I meet with the detailer and you know, I'm going to tell him I'm getting out because, You know, since like year two, because I knew that I wanted to go to BUDS, to the SEAL training. And he goes, every time I'd go in there and discuss with them, you know, like what my next position or thing could be, I tell them I want to go to BUDS. And they say, not this time, next time. So he's like, I'm just done. I'm getting out. They're not going to let me do what I want to do. I'm not staying. And so they looked at him and they're like, okay, well, we'll give you what you want. But, you know, know that you're 29 years old going to BUDS. Um, if you don't make it, you know, their chances are, they're not going to give you a second chance or roll you. You're not going to, you know, have as many opportunities as some of the younger guys would. And, um, if that's the case, then you're going to owe us another, you know, four years and we'll tell you where you're going. So, uh, he was bound and determined for that not to happen, but, um, it was quite the call. You know, I'm expecting, you know, him to call me and tell me the date he's getting out and so he calls and says, Um, well, so I'm, I'm going to go to Bud's, but if you really don't want me to, and it would end our relationship, then, you know, I'll really consider not going and, and, you know, we can figure things out. And I initially wanted to say, well, yeah, absolutely get out. I mean, this was not my plan. And my dad said to me that he, you know, you don't want him to ever resent you, um, for not allowing him to pursue something he's always wanted and you wouldn't want him to do the same to you. So, you know, think about it before you answer him, and um, if it's meant to be, it'll work out, and you'll figure things out. And so I said, okay, and, you know, next thing I know, he graduated BUDS, proposed, I graduated college, and we moved to Virginia, and there it all began.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, a couple of things you skipped in there, at least from where I'm sitting. I mean, so when— What's the conversation like? I mean, I know you sort of acquiesced and said, go ahead. But I mean, were you feeling at that time like, you know, OK, it's all going to work out? Or did you have some apprehension towards the whole thing?
0: Uh, probably both. I've always been pretty optimistic. Um, and knowing how much you wanted it, I didn't really I mean, I don't know. I never really knew much about the SEALs um, growing up. Um, and so all, you know, all I'd hear was the little rumors about, oh, they, you know, they leave the drop of the hat and, you know, they're gone, you don't know where they are. And so that was more of what really concerned me. Um, not so much the moving, because then I did learn that, you know, they don't move around as much as, you know, other branches of the military and different jobs. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, maybe I can handle that. And, but I, I mean. I still just was kind of like, I guess we're going to figure this out. And, you know, this tells you how old I am. But, um, I mean, this was back before cell phones. So he went to Bud's and I was like, I can't believe him. I mean, he's going to be all the way on the other side of the country. Um, well I'm in college. How does this work? So the, actually those were the things that bothered me more.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause uh, you just said you were in college at the time, right?
0: Yes. Yep.
1: I mean, that's a I lot for a college, college kid. kid. Long distance relationships yeah. never work out for college
0: kids. Yeah, I, yeah, and in, in, here he was at this point. We started dating when he was 27, so at this point he's like 29. Um, and I was like, he is not gonna stay with this, you know, college girl <laughs> as he's out in California. And uh, I mean, it worked, and and we did, we made it. Uh, I flew out there three different times uh, during that. I guess he got out there in like April and I graduated in October. So he uh, was out there the shortest amount of time that he could possibly be. So thankfully it worked out.
1: Now you said you didn't know much about the seals. Did you know what he was getting into? uh, Not only initially as Bud's is concerned, but did he sit you down and have a conversation about what seal life was going to be like?
0: I don't think so. I think um, think we were just going to kind of figure it out when we got there. Um, I mean, I got a little taste of it while he was, you know, out there at Bud's it's back when I would have to call a payphone mm-hmm. and hope that somebody answered it and then hope that they would actually knock on his door and get him Which a couple of times that did not happen. They would put the phone down and I would wait and I'd wait and I'd wait. And I'd finally hang up and then I'd call back. It was busy because that's what the person <laughs> they'd wait for you to hang up so that they could use the phone and call. So, well, yeah, there was the challenges started then. Um, but no, I didn't really have an idea of what it was going to be like, you know, once we, we moved to Virginia and it all started.
1: What did he tell you about buds was the worst part, the best part, Did he share any of those experiences with you?
0: Uh, yeah, he, I mean, how weak was as bad as they say. <laughs> um, but thankfully he did that pretty much in the summer. So he probably was, you know, he's one of those lucky classes that wasn't completely freezing. Right. Um, I loved hearing the stories about, you know, standing across from each other, falling asleep, you know, smacking your partner with the, you know, in the head with the paddle and to, you know, wake each other up and different things like that. Um, I know that his his body was hurting while he was out there kind of being older, Um, but he didn't hate it. I know there was times where he was like stressed about different tests and, um, you know, making sure he passed them, but, uh, he, Oh, like for the most part, he, he liked it. And, um, he had a, he had a good mind for it. It wasn't, you know, a lot of it from my, what I'm, what I hear obviously, cause I don't ever experienced it, but you know, a lot of guys say that it's, it's the mental toughness. It's just a game mm-hmm. of who's going to quit. I mean, obviously, you know, the different things they have to pass and learn um, are important. But it's also just the mental game of knowing, hey, tomorrow, it's going to be over at some point. This isn't it for the rest of my life.
1: Well, it's the old Navy SEAL saying the only easy day was yesterday, right? I mean, that's right. kind of what yeah. the, the mantra that they live by. When he was done and he came back, did you ever say to him, you're freaking nuts? Like, what, what were you thinking?
0: Yeah. I mean, when I hear the stories, I was like, I would just look at him and be like, I don't. What in the world? <laughs> and then even um, once we moved to Virginia, uh, and this is back in the old days, they didn't get their trident right out of Bud's. So then he went to Georgia to jump school, and then he went up to Virginia and then had to go through a whole training then. And then they finally get you know their trident as they go through you know more tests and more. Oh, it's almost like fraternity-like. But I'll just never forget we're walking around um, at one of the local – Spots where everyone would go and hang out on a Friday night, and they all the new guys had just gotten their trident, and they would wear it on their shirt. And guys would walk by and like punch it into them. And I'm like, this is just as stupid, if not more so, than all the other stuff you've gone through. Like, who who wants to do this at the like in their 30s? What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, Uh, a little sadistic to say the least. Now, when did (laughs) what what year and month you said he graduated in late October of what year? 98. Okay. So nine eleven hadn't happened yet. And so you're Correct. kind of thinking at this point in time, well, it's just a job, you know, he may, he may have to go some places, but you know, the term war, go to war, never kind of enters your mind, right?
0: Right. And um his first deployment, I mean, he was not happy. It, they actually um sent them to a ship. And he's like, You're kidding me, right? Like I got <laughs> I thought I joined the teams to not deploy two ships. And then his very first deployment, but, um, what was nice for them is they, that was just kind of like their main base, so to speak. And then they would hop off and leave and go do different things. So, um, but yeah, so the very first one I was like, "Eh, it's nothing. And I actually got to go visit him. Um, when they went to Spain, he had about a two week, like of downtime. Mm -hmm. And, um, so he called me and he's like, Hey, you want to come to Spain? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and I'd never had—I would never had a passport um, because we got married, and we literally had to be back from Virginia like two days later, and because he was in the middle of his workout for his first deployment. And so, in about less than a two-week notice, I got a got a passport and met him in Spain.
1: <laughs> got to be <laughs> thinking was- this seal <laughs> thing ain't so bad at this point, right?
0: Exactly, I, was like, I never recall my mom going and meeting my dad on deployments. Like I can do this.
1: <laughs> so, where are you guys on nine eleven?
0: Ah, he was away on a train, a training trip, a workup, or um, maybe at that time he was at uh, the training command. So, either way, he was on the trip, and I was a teacher. I taught autistic children, and I remember getting a phone call um, from a girlfriend of mine and. I typically didn't answer my cell phone. Like I would see it and I was like, Oh, it's not him. So I, and she just kept calling and calling. And then, um, so I finally answered. She's like, you have a TV in your classroom, don't you? I said, yeah. She was, you need to turn on the TV right away. And, um, then I remember getting a phone call from him and he said, you know, we're coming home. They're they're calling us all back in and yeah, you know, things are going to change. And I was like, I don't, what does this mean? I just kind of as a wave came over me and I, and I, it did occur to me I'm like, yeah, this is, I just feel like things are definitely going to change for, for them going forward. And that definitely was the case.
1: Did you express any concerns to him at the time? Like, you know, Hey, Jacques, whole, you know, you're going to be as much as you're gone now, it's going to be even worse.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think so much of more travel, um, there was just something that hit me that I was like, this just got a lot more dangerous. Um, I was talking to, I just got back from an event today. And so I was with a bunch of uh, old friends and and some guys that he went to Bud's with and we were just all talking. I was like, I just never thought of it as dangerous in the beginning. Like, I I just kind of was like, you're a SEAL. What's going to happen to you? You're going to come home. And after 9-11, my mindset kind of changed that. So I was like, this is a whole, whole new level um, that we haven't experienced in our first two, three years.
1: So when does he actually go to a deployment in the Middle
0: East? It was this, the third one, um, the one he left for in 2005. I mean, I think he did stuff on the deployment before I but he wasn't in Iraq or Afghanistan.
1: Gotcha. So I mean, a lot of the details are vague. Are that because you guys didn't talk about? It? Did he was he one of the you know I can't tell you where I'm going kind of deal? Did that ever bother you?
0: Uh yeah. So he he knew my personality, and I I fully trusted him. But I also was like I need I need to know as much as you can tell me. And so we had one of those relationships where I probably knew more than some wives. Um, maybe not as much as others, um, but he definitely, he trusted me to, you know, to keep the secret and, and, um but I, there was still, he's just like, he asked me, he said, Char, if I ever sit there and say to you, like, I can't tell you, he's like, just trust me that I'm doing this for my, for my job. Like, I'm trying not to betray, you know, what's been said to me and, you know, and I was like, okay, I, I will respect that. And so. That second deployment before Afghanistan, I literally didn't know where he was. Um,
1: Did he tell and, you when he got back?
0: Well, we accidentally found out. Um, a friend of mine was doing something, and she had to she had to go into her husband's emails for something. And um, she was she was moving, and she needed something, and she saw. And, um, so then I kind of knew, but yeah, when they came back, you know, you would hear stories, you know, they're all sitting around talking and you'd hear different things about what they did. And, you know, and then I'd ask a question, he's like, ah, oh, you're not supposed to know that <laughs> you know, different things. But, um, I just, you know, I was excited for him that he was finally doing, doing stuff. Um, and then definitely the, the third one, he was excited to go to Afghanistan and to finally be, I guess, what you'd say, like in the fight, right? And doing what he was, you know, has been training to do.
1: At this point, before he goes to Afghanistan, is some of this becoming routine for you? Are you used to the absence? Are you used to the secrecy? Are you used to the sort of this is just the life that we have, so to speak?
0: I never got used to it. I'm, I'm still never one. I don't, I don't like saying goodbyes. Um, I, I cry every time. Um, and he'd always be like, "Oh, you make this so hard." I'm like, "Well, I think you should worry if I ever stop crying." <laughs> He's like, "Okay, good point." Sure, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, that didn't get easier, but um, I did learn, you know, how to get into a routine. Um, and I had some really good friends. We we made it through. We met during his second deployment. There was a, a group of us that had become really close. And so that, that was really helpful because then it was, you know, I I would say we'd probably see each other four to five days a week uh, while the guys were gone.
1: So this deployment, uh, he's leaving for Afghanistan now, you know, to this point, he's always come back. When you said goodbye, did you think or feel anything was different?
0: I didn't. I mean, I, were you
1: worried uh, it was more dangerous because it was Afghanistan this time?
0: Yes. I mean, I was worried. He was different. Um, And I didn't put two and two together until he didn't come home. Um, But he was having a lot more serious conversations with me um, before that deployment. Um, Like what? uh, Like he made me promise that if he didn't come back, that I would um, find happiness again and get married. Um, Because we were waiting to have kids. And he's like, if I don't come home is you're meant to be a mom like you need to, to find love again and and be married you're meant to be a wife you're meant to be a mom and promise me that you'll do that that you'll you know you'll keep keep living and I, I, you know i was like absolutely not i mean i can't even wrap my head around that um and you are coming home that's not happening to you and so i just kind of couldn't even engage in those conversations you know but he had he had a daughter from a previous marriage and, um, you know, he talked to me about, you know, how she'll be taken care of and what he wanted me to do and you do this and you do that. And she'll have this, she'll have that. And, and I was like, why are we having all these discussions? And I guess he even told, um, I, I don't remember him ever telling me where the will was. Um, but he, he told a friend of ours because I remember him finding it, um, Once, you know, he didn't come back and he's like, oh, he's like, oh, I went in, I got the will, I got this. And I'm like, how how did you even like, no. So, I mean, he was kind of setting things up um, even before and he had had a talk with a really good friend of his that said, if something happens to me, I need you to be the one that goes to tell Char because I don't want her to not have somebody that knows me and knows her.
1: Now, full disclosure for the audience listening, you did end up getting remarried. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that that happened for you. Um, we'll get yes. more to that later. But um, I mean, I wonder, you know, at the time you're so sort of, you know, it's a real conversation, but it's not reality, right? I mean, if right. that makes any sense. And so yes. when you look back on that conversation, do you wish you had handled it differently?
0: Uh, No, I don't think I could have handled it any differently. Um, I listened to what he said. I just didn't want to ever think that that was a reality. So I always embraced the time that I had with him. So I thankfully don't have any regrets about that. Um, So I'm grateful he said those things to me Mm -hmm. um, to have the reassurance you know, when I did decide I was ready, um, cause I think that's helpful. I think a lot sure. of people, I mean, I still even struggled even knowing what he had said to me when I did start dating, it was, it was a big struggle for me, um, with my faith and you know just silly questions about you know hey when I die I remarry and I die like who do do I live with which
1: husband do I meet in heaven yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that is outstanding I'm sorry I'm not laughing like you know you you get it but that is a incredibly poignant question that's all right anyway do you remember the last thing you said to him before he left
0: oh probably just I love you. I'll miss you. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It was a typical deployment too, um, because they never leave when they're supposed to leave. So you drop them off, and then you always end up picking them back up, and then you come back. and I think it was like, I think I dropped him off like the third time he finally left. And I shouldn't say "finally," like I was, but I was like, "Ah, my heart can't do this anymore." Like I hope this is the time, you know?
1: Like you
0: just keep going through. um, I mean, I remember like going to dinner and like two hours in dinner with my girlfriends. They get a phone call and he's like, uh, yeah, I come pick me up. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, not gonna not pick you up, but, uh, it, it definitely just kept ripping the band-aid back off.
1: Now, what time of year did he leave?
0: Oh, um, April. It was April. So my okay. sister. Yeah. My sister got married in March. And so he was at her wedding for that. And then he left in April
1: did you guys sort of have a standard sort of procedure on how often when he was deployed, you would communicate how, you know, how often he'd call or did it change? Did it vary?
0: Uh, well, yeah, each deployment was different. Um, the first one obviously being on the ship, that was hard. That was pretty much all emails. Um, the second one, they were, um, you know, kind of in like hiding, doing stuff. And so, um, I would get phone calls every now and then, um, maybe, maybe once a week, maybe I I can't remember, um, uh, emails were more so, um, at that time as well. But when he was in Afghanistan, we almost talked every day because, um, I was in the process of selling our condo and buying a house. And so, um, and then him being, you know, a senior guy and a chief, you know, he had a little bit more, uh, freedom. With that, but um, yeah, we were talking quite frequently um, on the third deployments, which was a lot different than any other one.
1: I mean, it must have been pretty reassuring at that point, right? Being able to hear from them that often.
0: Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. And and cell phones were more a thing at that time. You know, becoming more um, technology savvy, I guess. You know, still nothing like it was today, but um, definitely different than you know, his first deployment type of thing. So that was helpful as well.
1: In any of the conversations you guys had, did he talk about the level of danger he might've been in? Did he talk, I mean, I would assume he doesn't talk about the operations themselves, but at this point you're smart enough to know, and have been through this enough to know what sort of his job requires. So did you probe with any of those questions? Did he ever talk about any of it?
0: Um, No, I would pretty much, because being on, um, on the phone, and a lot of the times too, he would call back to like team 10 and then they patched through. So I was always like, can they hear us Did the listen?" I never want to get him <laughs> in trouble. So um, I pretty much would just always, you know, okay, be careful. Um, and I do remember. So that the last, one of the last conversations I had with him and I, and it's only looking back after the fact, um, I remember telling him to be careful. He's was like, oh, I'm just taking a helicopter ride. And I, I'm pretty sure that's when he went and dropped the four guys down um, in. And then um, I missed his call before the, the very last call. Well,
1: what, okay. So he tells you that they're dropping the guys in. Obviously, you don't know well, what that means yeah. at the time, right? I mean, well, no, nobody and, does.
0: Right, right. And well, and he wouldn't even say he was dropping them in. He's just like, oh, he goes, I'm fine. I'm just going for a helicopter ride today. So that's like after when I think back to like the time frame – and knowing that they, they got, you know, they went and took the guys in. I figured that's kind of, oh, that he was just taking a helicopter out. He was just taking them over and, you know, right. kind of piece that together and myself.
1: All right. So you're consistently talking with him. Uh, and just for the reference of, you know, people and civilians listening, June 28th happens in Afghanistan before it happens in America. So uh, the morning of June 28th, 2005, what what is that day? How does it start for you?
0: Um, well, I woke up upset because I had missed his phone call the night before. And, um, so I was waiting.
1: Well, how'd you miss it? Why'd you to, miss it?
0: Um, I used to sell Mary Kay and I had a meeting okay. and I had my cell phone with me and I got up to go to the bathroom and I left my cell phone sitting on my chair and I came back and I had a missed call from him and I was just like, Oh, I can't believe I did that you know, here all this time it's been sitting in my hand and I walk away from it, for, you know, like two minutes and I miss his call. And then I just assumed, okay, well, he'll either call me back tonight or, and I think he did leave me a message that said, you know, um, I'll, I'll call you in the morning or something like that. And so I woke up in the morning and I, I didn't hear from him and I was like, ah, oh, cannot believe it. And, you know, so I just go through my day, um, waiting for him to call. And then, um, I had quit teaching, and I was a private home tutor for an autistic boy. And um, uh, I'd say about once a week, every other week, I would take him out into the community, you know, just teach him, you know, life lessons out there, getting him comfortable doing things. And we were at dinner, and at a, a pizza place, and I caught something on the TV, and they were talking about a helicopter that had been shot down over there. And I remember just thinking, all oh, oh, those families. I feel so bad for them. Said a little prayer for them, and then went back to you know what we were doing.
1: Now, when he but he had told you he was going for a helicopter ride, so it didn't click with you at that moment no, that he it might
0: because it was like two days later. Okay, all and right. I had talked yeah, and okay. he had, and I had missed a phone call, so I was like, that didn't um, it didn't occur to me that he would go back on a helicopter to go pick them up, or, or sure, you know that yeah, something would go yeah. wrong, you know, type of thing. So um and I really didn't hear what they were talking about on the news. I just kinda saw it and reading, you know, the captions or different things across the bottom. And but um, none of it
1: said Navy SEALs, none of it said nope. special operations or anything. You just it just said helicopter no. crash. Yeah. Okay. It just
0: said, you know, reported news, helicopter type of thing. Um, but then when I was driving home, um I got a phone call from uh one of the I think the command master chief's wife, um, she's like, Hey, Shar, I know, I know you missed the wives dinner tonight. And, um, we had to share some information with everybody. And I I just wanted you to hear it from me and not just, you know, rumors and word of mouth. And, um, but we are, um, we've gotten some information that something might've happened with some guys from, from 10. Um, we don't have any information of what, and, and what the extent of it is. Um, but I just want you to know, and as soon as we have any information, we'll tell you. And I just immediately like flash back to what I saw in the news, and I—that's I, just when everything kind of just started spiraling for me, and it's just the feeling of like despair and that gut punch, and just going—it just doesn't feel right now.
1: None of that—I know he's alive, or I know he's not alive, and any of those sort of feelings, or it's just, I can't imagine you know, what, what you're overcome with at that point.
0: Um, I went home and I tried to email him and when I didn't hear back from him, I kind of had this feeling like it's him. And, um, I mean, even though people are like, well, they've shut down the command, they've shut down all communication. He's not going to be able to email. I was like, no, I just know him that he would, he would risk just, giving me some sort of communication to put me at ease um, if he could. And so when I wasn't hearing back from him, I was like, there's, it's, it's him. I just know it is.
1: Did you call anybody to share that fear?
0: I did. I called my dad and, um, and he was like, okay, you're jumping to conclusions. You know, we just got to wait. You don't know. And I'm like, I just feel weird dad. There's something missing. And, um, He's like, just, he has calling your girlfriends, tell them to come spend the night with you just so you're not alone. And so I did. And, um, I remember calling my brother. Cause at this point he's up at the air force and he was sta- um, stationed in Dover, Delaware, which isn't far from Virginia beach. And, um, he went to his commander and said, Hey, my sister needs me. And he's like, you know, dude, you're on duty. Um, if we let everybody off every time there might something happen to a family member, you know, people would be gone all the time. It's like, I understand, but we don't have anything about it yet. So finish out your shift. If something changes, you know, just let me know. So, um, my girlfriend, I had two girlfriends come and stay the night with me that night. We got a phone call the next morning confirming that it definitely was guys with still team, still team 10, still not you know, any information about what, um, or who and the extent, um, and just as the day went on, I, I, just, it was just becoming more and more apparent to me what had happened. And, um, obviously were you glued to the parents, news?
1: Were you trying like watching TV incessantly trying to hear anything or no,
0: no, nope. I was trying to, I just waiting by my phone, waiting by my phone, constantly checking my email waiting to hear something. Um, I would host a weekly dinner at our house for all of our friends. And so people started showing up for that, which was good. Um, Kind of, okay, let's, let's be normal. Let's, let's just, you know, make, make some memories. Let's laugh. And, and maybe this is all just, you know, me overreacting, which I'll own it and take that any day. Um, And so that's just kind of, how we, we we spent our day. I didn't even know it, but I guess my parents uh, were even uneasy um, because they both ended up taking that day off, the next day off of work.
1: So this, when you get the word that it's guys from SEAL Team 10, how many days is this after uh, you initially hear about the crash? How many days after June 28th was it?
0: So, oh, probably. So if that happened, I missed his phone call on a Monday night. So when, Wednesday.
1: Okay. So I mean, it's you know, three days have it's gone like by two, since.
0: You're... Yeah, two three days since I've talked to him. I mean, I found out something on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday was the dinner, and um, and it, even at that point, so when they, um, a friend of mine, her, um, her and her husband were over, and um, we had gone down to the garage. I lived in a condo, and it was like uh, the second floor, so we were down in the garage getting some charcoal to start the grill and start cooking dinner. And, um, that's when we heard, um, car door shut. And it was not something that was uncommon. I mean, obviously in a condo, um, place, you know, there's people coming and going and, but I don't know, the sound of it was different. There was too many car doors shutting. The majority of all of our friends are already there. Um, so, you know, who, who was this? And, um, I just remember turning, and seeing, you know, like three people in, in in white dress whites getting out of the cars, getting out of the car, and um, I remember starting to walk towards them, and my friend Heath grabbing me and going, "We're not doing this out here," and you know, like shoving me back towards the house and upstairs.
1: When he grabbed you, were I mean. You ha- you sort of know what's coming, but you 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 know the words have to sort of be said. So, what are you thinking when he grabs you and tries to take you upstairs?
0: I just think I was I was already crying, like I was okay. just already just in shock and couldn't believe that this was happening to me. And I'll never forget walking in, and I I mean, there's probably like fifteen people in my house, and just walking into you know everyone else just laughing and talking and, and seeing all of them look at me and looking at another friend's husband. And as soon as he saw me, I see the look on his face and I'm like, he knows exactly. And, um, so I remember all the girls getting taken outside and then my friend Heath and Jason, um, staying in there with me. Um, and then of course, because, um, they haven't located any of the, they, they came that first day and told me that, um, he was missing in action. And so I remember looking at our good friend Gonzo. He was the one that uh, Jacques had gone to and asked that he be the one to come and talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so there, there's a there's a chance, right? And he he just looks back at me and he's like, they're missing an action pursuit um, presumed dead. And I um I guess I told him I was like, you're not allowed to be in my house. You were never supposed to be here. And um, just because it's like you weren't like yeah, Jack had that conversation with you, but that's not it wasn't supposed to come true. And so I remember going to the bathroom. I was sick and crying. And um, my friend Jason, I don't know how long I was in there, and he's like, you you have to come back out. They need to talk to you. And I came out and Gonzo was gone. I'm like, where did he go? And they're like, you you told him he wasn't allowed in here. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant. Like I couldn't believe. I kicked him out. (laughs) He's doing what Jacques asked him to do. And, um, it was probably, I mean, I know the hardest thing he's ever had to do and, you know, then I go and make it worse.
1: (laughs) What did the men, uh, the guys in uniform, the casualty assistance folks, what what did they continue to say to you?
0: I honestly don't know. Um, I think just, you know, kind of how the next couple of days were going to play out, um, as far as, you know, we're kind of in limbo, they have to find the bodies, they've got to, they're not gonna be able to bring them back, or, you know, all these different things, Um, who do we need to call, we need, you know, Jacques' family's phone numbers, and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, um, I mean, they had to locate his ex-wife, so that she could be there, you know, with their daughter, because she was 16, his mom and dad are divorced and lived in two separate cities or um, states. And then, you know, having his siblings in New Orleans and, you know, two in Atlanta as well. And I just remember thinking, my sister-in-law is pregnant. Like you got to be gentle when you're talking to her, you know, there's just all these different things. And just all the phone calls, my sister had just gotten married and had moved to Germany with her husband. I'm like, we, you know, we got to notify her. I need my brother here. There's just all these different, it just kind of went into like a, you know, okay, who are we calling type of thing?
1: You know, everybody grieves differently at some point. I'm sure you get a moment to yourself. Um, that's all consuming. Uh, do you remember that?
0: I did not like to be alone. Okay. Um, I... I, I mean, it's funny to say 15 years later. I still don't. <laughs> I, I don't sit in quiet. Um, the TV is usually always on. Not news. I haven't listened. I haven't watched the news since 2005. I mean, except for like little things like hurricanes that are coming sure, towards yeah. Florida, yeah. or or the election. Um, you know that sort of thing. But the day to day, I I still don't listen to. But I'm. I didn't want to be alone then. I, I mean, I had people sleeping on our, on, you know, all over my condo. Um, I would take a shower. I'd make my sister sit in the bathroom with me. Um, I just, I didn't want to be. I was afraid to actually have to accept like it was all happening.
1: When do you get the word? Um, when do they officially announce him? K I A. Uh, and what about the body? The, the, for those listening, all the bodies from the helicopter accident—there were 16 people on board—they were all recovered. So when does all that happen?
0: They came back the next day um, to confirm that he was killed in action, and then I want to say it was like a two two weeks. Yeah. Before we even, because I remember having there's a 4th of July party I went to and we were still just waiting. Like we hadn't had any, um, service yet. Um,
1: now were you, so I started to put you on pause. Were you adamant about trying to have a body for a service or did it matter to you?
0: It didn't matter for me. I think it was more, I was just kind of like, I remember them asking if all of us girls wanted to have all of us families from Virginia beach, wanted to do a joint service and I said, I just remember thinking like whatever they want to do. And, and that's kind of how we all, we all went about it. Um, so we did have to wait for them to, to come back. Um, I was, I don't even know if you say it's lucky. Um, Jacques was one of, I think the only one whose body was um, com- fully intact. And, um, but you know, still told, you know, I shouldn't view him, um, a part of me wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, my dad saying, let let me, let me ask. And he called the Admiral and, uh, he said, Mr. Fletcher, I, I understand which, what Star is wanting, but just tell her that even though he was one of the most recognizable, I don't think she should see him that way. Um. So I, I didn't. I never saw. I never looked at the pictures. You know, even though a part of me just wanted dad? that closure. No, I don't think my dad okay. did. Um. It. My brother and and then Gonzo as well ended up being the ones to receive him in Dover. Okay. Um. And then I also had. I was also really close with some of the guys that were in the platoon, and knowing that they saw him. Um was kind of all I needed to confirm. I was like, there's just, it's probably really, I mean, morbid for some people to hear, but it was like, I don't know if I could have ever moved forward. Not if somebody couldn't confirm that he was. No,
1: sure. And that's part of infected. the reason I asked. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I, there are people who hold out all hope um, until yeah. they recover a body. Um, and, yeah. and uh, Look, I mean, we, we go back to Vietnam. We've heard those stories, right? Of people who, who yeah. were prisoners of war who were presumed dead and all of a sudden they, they, uh, somehow they end up alive. So I I certainly understand that's part of the reason why I was curious on what your, your personal feelings were on that. Was there, yeah. was there any comfort in talking to the other wives and spouses of those who were killed?
0: Not at first. And I think, um, we were all like a little, just like what what the heck just happened. I mean, it was you know, the biggest, biggest loss since the Vietnam or for the seal teams since the Vietnam war. Right. And so there really wasn't any sort of support. There were three other widows. <clears throat> um, but I don't, I don't even think I knew them. Um, I had never met them. And so, and then two of the girls in Virginia beach who I did know um, fairly well, but they both had young kids. And so then that was like awkward as well because I was jealous that they had kids yeah. and, um, you know, they felt bad too. Like we learned, you know, I learned this after the fact, but it was like, they felt bad coming around me knowing that they had kids and that we were going to be starting. And, you know, so there was a lot. Um, and then I moved that was, um,
1: yeah, you sold the condo, I, right? <laughs>
0: sold the condo and I didn't want to buy then the house that we were buying. So I was like, I, I just move into this house all by myself. Like, uh, no. And so then I tried to see if the guy would like rent me back my condo for just like even a month or two and he wouldn't do that. Oh, and God. so I, um, I moved to Florida. Like we had the memorial service in Virginia beach. Okay. We literally all flew to Florida the next day, um, because I also, um, since I wasn't staying in Virginia, I was like, well, I don't want him in Arlington. Where's everyone else? And and then everyone was waiting, you know, for different things. I was like, I just need to have a funeral. I need to have a funeral. So I um, brought him back to Florida. And we buried him here. And um, then I went back to, like, I don't even know how long I was here. Maybe like a week just between the services and different things, then I went back to Virginia because the movers were at my house, and um, then I had to go to New Orleans because then they were doing a service for him there, and um,
1: where his family is from, yes, okay.
0: Um, and so yeah, I moved, um, so I was like, I was homeless, so that was all kind of crazy too. So even a lot of the girls that stayed in Virginia Beach, they got close quickly just because they needed each other. Um, and I was kind of, I mean, I wasn't kind of, I was down here in Florida pretty much on right. my own. And, uh, so it was, a there was a lot to overcome in that first year some choices that I would have done differently, but I mean, I can't change it. And thankfully it, it did all work out. Um, but Definitely but I I don't but things I don't recommend to people now.
1: <laughs> like what? Is,
0: um don't make any big drastic changes or yeah moves in that first year. Um go to counseling sooner than later. I waited, you know, a year for that and um you know, thankfully it, you know, I didn't end up doing anything, you know, I regret, but I, I think I could have started healing a little sooner. Mm-hmm had I sought out some counseling sooner.
1: Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. A couple of things I wanted to hit on. In retrospect, um, I, I know that there's a party that's ultimately sad that you and Jock never get a chance to have kids, but knowing kids who grow up without a parent who was killed in combat, is there a part of you that says maybe it was a little bit of a blessing that you didn't?
0: Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth, especially with this big as our widow community now is within the SEAL teams and seeing so many kids, um, (laughs) that have lost their, you know, I think selfishly for me, I would want it. And then I think thankfully, you know, he, you know, he already or not orphaned, but you know, left one daughter behind. Um, And I, you know, it's, so it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're like, there's mm-hmm. not a good. No, there's, I mean, nobody wins, yeah.
1: obviously. I just was curious yeah. on your personal feelings on the whole yeah. thing. As you mentioned, you already did have a daughter. So, you know, that that, that there's one person in this whole thing uh, that's, you know, a degree of separation away from you who's, who's living through that. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier that, uh, and this was many years ago, but um, there was a point where Jacques said to you before going to Bud's, if you don't want me to do it. I won't do it. Is there any part of you that wishes you had told him no, that you, in theory could have saved his life?
0: Yeah. I mean, I do. I, especially in the beginning, you're like, why did I, if I would have just said, but then it's like, would we have made it? I mean, would he have eventually resented me and, you know, fallen out of love and left me? Um, So, you know, I'm glad I supported him doing what he loved. I mean, I I don't regret that. I do remember um, in one of my first counseling sessions, the counselor asking me, you know, well, have have you let go of your anger with um, Jacques yet? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not angry at him. I'm angry at God. And he goes, well, I'm assuming you're also angry at Jacques. I'm like, why would I be angry at Jacques? Like he had nothing to do with that. And, um, he goes, he didn't. And he just kind of made me think. And, um, and ultimately, I mean, he, I was always first myself and his daughter, you know, that was, we were the priority. Um, but being in the military or being a first responder, like ultimately when, when you're working, that's your priority. Like you can't just you know, one day be like, "Oh, my wife needs me today." You know, well, I'm gonna, you know, cater to her and do like that's that's not their reality no. um, with their jobs. And so, uh, subconsciously, I I was feeling like you chose this over me, and I just never allowed myself to think that way or admit those feelings because of how he died and you know being a hero and knowing that that wasn't his heart, but you know, yeah. At the same time I let, I said, yes. And you said, yes. And now you're gone. (laughs) So your choices caused you to leave me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, objectively, uh, I Mm -hmm. I see why that's a, a tough bridge to gap, but I understand why it's, you have to reconcile. Like you have to cross that bridge one way or another to sort of, Um, and again, I'm I'm being presumptuous here. I'm not trying to tell you how you felt, but uh, from what I'm hearing, it's just one of those things where uh, until you can process that whole decision in your head and and the second and third order of effects of it that you never really put together, I think that it it certainly can leave you in a place where you're sort of twisted emotionally.
0: Yes, I think between that and being so angry at God, um, as soon as I was able to have both of those screaming matches at the two of them um, there was just a huge weight that was lifted off my heart and I was able to s- start healing um, I still to this day say that I don't I don't believe you can ever fully heal I don't think you ever move on um, I don't think you ever don't live with grief I think it's always a part of you but I think um, you can get to the point where you're healed enough um, that you can I mean you and can enjoy life and you can find the positives and be happy while still honoring that that person
1: you mentioned jock being a hero when do you get the full scope of understanding of what had happened to those four seals uh and marcus luttrell obviously the only one who survived the story of michael murphy and his medal of honor and jock being part of all that when you get when do you get that whole story and does it sort of you know uh, validate what, what Jock was doing in any way, or how does it make you feel when you hear that whole story?
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's taken, it took years for me to get, well, for me to process all of it. Um, I remember when the guys got back, um, from the deployment and they took me in. I had come up to Virginia from Florida and to make sure I was there to see them. And they sat me down and, um, in their platoon hut for, I mean, a couple hours, I was just telling somebody today, we were talking about this and it's like I literally don't remember one single thing that they said to me Really? at all. Yeah, I don't, I have no clue. I, I to this day. And, what
1: do you remember about um, the meeting then? Anything nothing. in the room? Any Anything visual that stuck out?
0: Nope. Really? I have no clue. I mean, this is like what, four months later, like I still was not able, I think just the reality of they're all here and he's not like, it was like the final, uh, I don't even want to say nail in the coffin. That sounds just so, uh, No, but, cliche, it's, it, but it ends the chapter, it ends the chapter, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, it, it, yeah. it writes the final sentence for you.
0: Yes. Yeah. Like this is, this is definitely the reality they came home, he didn't. If there's there's no other there's no other thing I'm waiting for to prove that this happened. Right. And um and so I mean even say I was talking to somebody, he's like, Shar, don't you remember when I called you from Germany and I told you this and I was like, No. And I mean and he's like, Oh gosh, okay. Um and so yeah, there's still pieces I mean, when did that movie come out? I was Pregnant with my second child, no, third, I can't even remember. Um, But it was, I was getting pieces of the puzzle then too, because then, you know, I could ask. And I think I always, even still to this day, I'm nervous to ask some of the guys because I can't imagine how what it's like for them to live with it every day. Um, So I don't, I try not to make them relive it, even though I'm sure they do just like I do. Um, so it's taken, I mean, I still learn things. I still, I, I just learned something the other night, 15 years later. So, I mean, there's still pieces of the puzzle I'm putting together. Um, but I ultimately know that, you know, he had a hand, um, you know, planning things and, and part of that and, and he was doing what he loved and I can't, I can't fault him for that. And I mean, that's sacrificing for your country. I mean, you can't, can't be any more of a hero than that.
1: No. Is there any, I want to choose my word carefully here. Is there any resentment that all of this sort of attention goes to Marcus Luttrell and the movie and the book and everything else and Jock and seven other seals are sort of afterthoughts?
0: There's, for me there's no resentment to Marcus or those you know three other families um I think Marcus every chance he gets brings up the name of all of the guys right all 19 that were lost that day which I definitely appreciate um and I and we can't control I mean yeah I, I work for team never quit so I mean on the, on the woohoo every week there's emails that I read where people are like, you know, I think about, you know, Axe, Murphy, and, um, Dietz every day. And I'm like, and the 16, you know, like a part of me. Yeah. But I'm like, that's not Marcus's fault. That's not, you know, Dietz, Axelson, or Murphy's fault. I mean, that's, that was the movie. And I appreciate what I really appreciated in that movie was how, um, People are shown how our military is held to a different standard than anybody else, and what do you mean? You in know, what way? I mean, they couldn't do what they wanted to do, and you know, make the choice to end those guys' lives sure. in order to to keep them safe. I mean, and- we have different rules to follow, rules of engagement, and they had to follow them, whether they felt that that was the right place or not like and that's not how it is for well it certainly wasn't for
1: the enemy when it came to us that's for darn sure and uh what what char is referring to for people who may not know um as the story is told uh, the the four men on the mountain mike murphy and and uh danny deets matt axelson and uh and marcus Luttrell, they were their mission was compromised by an old man and a young kid who were goat herders and uh they decided to let them go as opposed to capture them or kill them on the spot and that's what gave away their position and you know compromised the mission and so on and so forth it all leads to you know the, the dominoes that all fall that ultimately led to uh that helicopter being shot down with jock on it so uh, yes we are, we are held to a different standard um good better and different fair or unfair uh, it's it's part of, of why our military is is the best trained in the world because we expect to, be able to overcome those sort of situations. Um, and we don't always, obviously, as uh, this situation bears out, but that is the expectation. So, um, yeah. I, and again, I, I, I just, I, I wonder, and I'm asking all these questions because I'm trying to sort of understand how you're processing the grief of all these things, right? Cause I'm, I'm sure all these yeah. thoughts circularly at some point in time were swimming around in your head. No.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's still days where I can go in a rabbit hole, and, you know, why, 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 why? Like if we would, and then ultimately I have to tell myself it doesn't change anything. So, um, I just gotta, you know, accept that this is how it turned out and I don't have the answers. Um, I might never get them. I might, you know, I, I always say that when I get to heaven, I'll ask, I'll ask God, but you know, at the same time, I might get to heaven and it might not matter. (laughs) Like, why would I, why would I answer it at that point or ask that at that point? Um, so it's just better. I know I've, I've seen some people who can't, who haven't processed it and I can sit back and go, I, I don't want that to be me. And so I'm fairly early on made the choice that I wouldn't, live my life as a victim and I wouldn't allow this to define me it would change me and it's part of me forever um, but I have a choice in how I react to it and how I can continue to live and I didn't want to be an embarrassment to Jacques if that makes sense
1: <laughs> no yeah I under, I, I don't know I mean personally me I don't like the word embarrassment um, by no means am I judging you for it but I I get what you're saying, Um, I I think, and maybe it's just because I'm in the military community and I can see it from that side, you know, the Mm -hmm. amount of grief that you had to deal with and other family members had to deal with, other wives, other, you know, uh, brothers and sisters and children and everything, I think we understand it a little more, but I I could see the word embarrassment coming in from an outsider's perspective, Um, not that I know that it matters one way or another, but... Uh, you know, you talk about the grief and uh, the process you went through. You said it took you a year to go to therapy. Uh, what was the toughest part of grieving for you?
0: I, I had so many changes that first year. Um, so I, th- I think it just was a lot more to handle than I was expecting. I mean, besides, you know, losing him, I mean, I was only 29 years old, um, didn't have kids, I moved, um, didn't have the community. Like there's all these different things and it was a lot to process in that first year. And um, even the change in like friendships, I mean, I went from being part of that community and you know, now being in the civilian world for 15 years, it's it's really different than being in a military community, um, friendships. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have some really amazing friendships, um, now, but it's still different than that. Sure. And there's times where I, I can pair and, um, and I still see, you know, I, I can see my sister having instant friendships and instant people and to do things with all the time and, and, she, you know, you know, some people are like, oh, well, it's just different because of, you know, kids. And I'm like, yeah, but my, my sister still has it. And I'm like, well, she's it's di- she's, an, she's an army wife. I mean, it's that's just kind of where their life takes them. Um, so I do miss all that. So that was that added to the grief of losing him, like losing that part of me as well.
1: Do you regret anything about the way you handled it?
0: No, I think I'm pretty proud of myself. I think, um, I could have, I could have let things get bad, but I, I'm, I'm proud of myself for acknowledging it fairly early on that I needed help. Um, probably before I, it did get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't believe I'd. Thankfully, <laughs> didn't do anything I, I regret. Um, sure, I could have, but um, I didn't. I And I also realized fairly quickly um, for me as well that, I mean, obviously, uh, social drinking and all that kind of stuff, but it, it would lead me into a downward spiral as wow. well. Just the sadness would overwhelm me. And so I think that helped too. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. That makes me even more sad than I am. And so that was, I was able to, to see that for what it was in the beginning as well. So I think that kind of helped keep me from, from getting too bad off.
1: Are there days where the gravity of it still hits you?
0: Absolutely. What's that like? You know, you, thankfully it, it, it's not as frequent, Um, but you know, I can, I don't go one day without thinking of him. There's not one day that I don't think of him at some point. Um, and then, then there's guilt mixed with like, well, how am I, how am I still mourning him when I've got this amazing husband now being remarried three big, beautiful children, so much to be thankful for. Um, and so some days it just, I mean, it just kind of comes out of nowhere something. Just like, it's just like a sucker punch and, some days I can accept it or, or, can embrace it and, you know, have my good cry and, and just kind of cope with it and move, then, you know, pick myself up and go. And other days it's like, I don't even have time for this today. Like I'm, from, I'm in the middle of running from baseball. Like I mean, it could be a song that comes on. It could be, um, you know, anything and just out of the blue. So it doesn't, so I say it doesn't really fully ever go away. Um, But it definitely gets less, um, doesn't happen as frequently.
1: Sure. And and, uh, I don't know your husband, but props to him. I mean, I I try to put myself in his shoes and think about somebody that, you know, I love to the moon and back and I'm spending the rest of my life with who still has these moments where there's another man who steals her heart away. And, and, you know, and I say that sort Uh of, you know, romantically, but, you know, obviously it's not that literal, Um, but it's just one of those things. I mean, how does he make it easier for you to grieve?
0: Well, in the beginning he used to say, um, well, I got to marry the love of my life because you lost yours. And I was like, You've got to stop saying that. Like Oh no that he doesn't uh, come me. on. I can't
1: get a better line than that, man. I mean, I, I, I love your husband. I already love him. Like I don't have a line that good in me. Damn.
0: I know. He says, um, he's like, you know, how do you not honor Jacques? He goes, I because you have a way of honoring him and remembering him while still loving and respecting me in our marriage. He's like, so you, he's yeah, me he's like, you're the one that makes it easy. Yeah, I mean, And I'm I, like, wow. <laughs> okay. like, I, I'm,
1: I, I, I am a simpleton, I guess. Cause I don't know, like I watched this moronic show, like the bachelorette, like how do you love two people yeah. at the same time? Like it just doesn't <laughs> make sense to me. So, and, right. and, and I say that tongue in cheek, obviously, cause you know, I'm not right. uh, obviously disrespecting your situation, but oh, right. you know, yeah. I mean, it, it's just like, You, you still are loving two people at the same time and and with all of your, your, your being and, and who you are. And, and I just, I can't imagine what those days are
0: like. Yeah. I, I struggled with that. Um, and counseling helped that too. Um, and the only thing I can compare it to is having more than one kid. Um, that's fair because I mean, obviously you have one kid and you like, oh my gosh, how do I? How do I ever love a kid?
1: Yeah, how do I the love anything as as I much? Love this much? Right until you have yeah. another one,
0: and then you have another one, and you're like, oh, and um, you know, I think another thing that has made it easy is that Drew has never asked me to put Jacques on a shelf, and he has embraced that his family from literally the the, the year after he passed away um, has come to stay with us. My one sister in law and And they were at our wedding. They've been at baby showers and they've just been a part of our life. And, um, so I haven't, I haven't had to pretend he's not there. And it was, so the hole is still there. And that's kind of one of the reasons I knew that I was ready to marry Drew because he didn't replace what I lost. He has his own separate part of my heart and, um, I think that's important for people to be able to accept and see in themselves too. Like you're not, you're not trying to replace that, um, or fill that hole. I think it's important that it kind of stays where it is. And, and then your heart just grows. It's just, when you're ready, you're ready. And, I, you know, I think only God is the one that can help make that possible.
1: Yeah. Well, if you ever screwed up with Drew, tell him I want to marry him. Cause uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had a home run. I mean, God, I, I don't know him, but I mean, I'm in love with him already. Uh, but he's also he's also one of the people who encouraged you to write the book, um, A Beautiful yeah. Tragedy A Navy SEALs Widows Permission to Grieve and Prescription for Hope. So uh, why did you write the book outside of, you know, Drew suggesting it, but kind of what did you hope to get out of it?
0: Um, well, I get phone calls um, from different people. Hey. Uh, I know somebody that just lost their husband. Can you come and talk to them? Um, I was actually flown up to washington d c at one point to meet with um a new seal widow. I didn't even know her, and you know tell her you know you understand she just wants to talk to somebody who understands what she's going through, and so I did that, and I would make little notes as I'd hear things in church or I would talk to people and Um, a friend of mine that I was working with at the time, she's like, you should put this down and share this and and write a book. And I was like, no. And then Drew was like, no, she's right. You should people call and talk to you. Don't you think you could reach more people if you just shared your story? And I was like, nobody's going to want to read this story. And so we did it. And sure enough, it was rejected time and time again by publishers. Um, publishing companies. Yes. Because they wanted a seal story and they wanted me to include things about his workup and about being a seal and his deployments. And I was like, I'm not going to do that because I'm, I wasn't the seal. That wasn't my story to tell. My story to tell is how I was perfectly happy, married, you know, wife, military wife and how I lost him and how I picked myself back up and I'm still living and honoring him at the same time. And they're like, thanks, but no thanks. And so it's that, it's that on the shelf for, I mean, I think I got my last no in like 2015 or 16. And I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like, obviously, um, that's not God's plan for me and that's okay. And, you know, it is what it is. And then in February of this year, Melanie Luttrell reached out to me and she's like, so there's this guy with this publishing company and I'd like to introduce you to him. I think this would be a good fit. And, you know, lo and behold, it's, you know, Andy with Ballast Books. Um, And it's a, it's a hybrid publishing company. So it's half self-publishing with the Addition of you know them helping with editing and design and marketing and you know that sort of thing, um, so I drew and I talked about it and he's like I I, I mean I say we go for it I mean what's it what do we lose the the money (laughs) like is but your 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 whole purpose in writing this was to reach people to share your struggles of your faith to share the struggles and the reality um, and the truths of what grief is. And, um, he's like, if it changes one person's life, you know, then you've, you're, you know, you succeeded. And so, you know, here we are (laughs) a couple of, you know, six months later and it's out there and, um, it's a very simple story and, but it's, you know, my truth and my reality. And I felt like I stayed true, um, to honoring Jacques and, and keeping what he did separate um, which is what I wanted to do because i I don't, I've never pretended. I, I was never one of those wives that was like, I'm special because my husband's a seal. Right. And that just wasn't me. And I was like, I'm not going to pretend that that's me now just to sell books.
1: Prior to the book, somebody reached out and asked for your help after the book was written. What was the response? And did more people reach out to you to talk to you or?
0: Yeah, I've had quite a few people message me um, time and time again. um, I I thank you so much for this. And how did you feel about this? And um, you've really helped me. It's given me a lot of clarity. Uh, One girl was like, can you please? She's like I actually have lost the guy I was dating. I mean, not to, he's still alive, but their relationship because he witnessed so many people um, so many of his friends die and watching their, their spouses, he just wasn't able to move forward. You know, Like mm-hmm. just like, he couldn't come to, to grips with it. And so she ordered the book for him. And, um, and then really cool last night, actually, um, at this event I was at, Dan Crenshaw was speaking as well. And he goes, um, so I spoke first and then he got up and he said, Char, I don't know if you know this. And, I hadn't even met him yet. Um, He said, you went up and helped Amy Looney after her husband was killed and you gave her the, the rundown of everything that was happening. He goes, and Amy then came and was with my wife when I was shot and telling her how everything was and what was going to happen and how to deal with it and how to answer these questions. And he's like, so it it's really like it came full circle. Like it just keeps getting passed down. Like you touched lives that you didn't even know. And you know now here tonight we're meeting <laughs> and it was just, a, I'm like, okay, I, I I've done the right thing.
1: Amazing. I mean, it really is serendipity and all that, but still, you know, I think it's one of those, uh, your, your impact and your reach are much farther than, than you can, you, you can imagine. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hope that it continues. I, I hope that there are more, uh, let me rephrase that. I don't hope that there are more widows out there, but for those who are grieving uh, with any grief process, I, I hope that there are people who find some solace in your book and sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, if, they, if there's a game plan or a playbook on how to get through it, I think you've sort of touched on it.
0: That's my hope. Um, and I hope that maybe it even gives some insights to you know, the friends and family that are on the outside watching them. Cause I, I know for a fact, I was not an easy friend <laughs> to have,
1: sure, um, in that yeah. first,
0: in that first year. Um, and so I just hope that it, you know, it doesn't just help those grieving, but you know, maybe gives insight for others as well.
1: You mentioned earlier, you work with team never quit. You worked with Marcus uh, Luttrell's lone survivor foundation, but you and Drew now have your own foundation called for honor F O R E. Uh, which centers on an annual golf tournament uh, that's donating proceeds. So uh, how does that come about and what do you hope to achieve with it?
0: Well, we um, went out, my dad was working with, um, I don't even know how he met him. I think just through his job, my, he's an insurance agent, and um, met this guy who had never served in the military but saw a need and started weekend retreats for veterans. Um with equestrian therapy and hunting and fishing and, you know, this, that sort of thing at their retreat. And, um, my dad's like, "Sure, come out and just check it out and see, see what you think. And I really think, you know, you would like them and maybe we could find a way to help them if you could be their spokes spokesperson and, you know, maybe kind of, you know, raise more awareness for them. And, um, so Drew and I went out there and we just immediately were like, he's, he's doing it right and he needs help because it's in this small little town in the middle of nowhere in, in North Florida and just doesn't have the reach. And yet his heart is in the right place. And, um, so we're like, let's, you know, Drew's like, we could do a golf tournament. I know golf tournaments. And, uh, so like two weeks later, you know, I had run with it, not even telling Drew. And I'm like, okay, so we need a date. We need this. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like the golf tournament? He's like, Oh, Oh, are we having, I'm like, you said we were, and we're going to do this. And he's like, okay. So we, um, we had our first golf tournament. And then after that made the decision that we wanted to start our own 501c3, not to reinvent the wheel by any means, because there's plenty of foundations out there who are already doing the right thing. Um, but it's easier to ask for, donations from corporations if you are a 501c3 and and so that's just kind of how it all started we've had two golf tournaments and then had planned to move it to the spring for this year um and then you know lo and behold good old covid (laughs) (laughs) hit hit the world and um so we did not get the tournament in this year but hoping we'll be able to pick it back up um come this spring
1: I would be remiss if I didn't take a couple of moments to at least let the audience, you know, know a little bit about Jock that they don't. And, and I know what your story is, not his story, but I'm just kind of want to fill in some of the blanks here. Um, what about him still makes you smile?
0: That's <laughs> funny because I'm sitting here smiling as you're talking about <laughs> that. <laughs> um, I laugh at the amount of useless sports information. Hey, we're, he, we would have been
1: good friends. <laughs>
0: um, I, I could not like, it wasn't just the information you knew about his sports teams, but like all of them and every sport. I mean, it didn't matter if it was baseball, football, hockey. I'm like, how do you even have that information? Like, what is the purpose of keeping that? Like knowing that he's like, I don't know. I just like, it. I mean, ESPN was on all the time. Um, I used to say like when he, got out of the teams that he would like move, you know, move over Jim Rome Cause you know, he's going to be taking over your, your job. Um, he just was that, that into it all the time. Um, he
1: coincidentally, by the way, that's what I do for a living. I'm a sports talk show host.
0: Are you serious? Yeah.
1: I, I mean, in case you didn't know, <laughs> know you know, uh, people who listen to the show obviously know that about me, but yeah, that's what I do for a living. That's why I said we'd be good friends. So
0: <laughs> yeah, you guys would, that would, Absolutely, um, yeah. He was. It was all. I, it literally still to this day boggles my mind how much information he knew. Well, um, just remember yeah.
1: that spot in our brain is reserved for things like anniversaries, birthdays. You know, uh, things we're supposed to remember. We've replaced it with sports knowledge.
0: That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Can't remember where I'm supposed to be tomorrow or what we're having for dinner tonight. But, you know, if you ask me what, right. the, what the record of what team was and what, who won the Super Bowl in this year, I could tell you right off the top of my
0: head. Right. Along with, you know, every shot yeah. that you hit on the golf course, which my husband does that now, too. Like, he can tell me, you know, oh, well, on this course, it dog-legged left. And then I had to hit it over the water. And then I'm like, I don't – what's the point in knowing And remembering that, I don't get it at all. (laughs) Uh, What
1: what do you Um, miss about Jock the most?
0: Oh, he was funny. Um, Introduced me to uh, just a new side of life. I mean, being from New Orleans, I was always a picky eater. So he was always trying to, you know, introduce new things to me. He was definitely a food snob. Um, but then drink Coors Light. Hey, so don't, that don't knock it. A, that's my beer. Hey, I like it too. Okay. But I just think it's funny <laughs> that you're a wine snob and a food snob and you know, cold CL. Doesn't it,
1: hits, it hits the palate the right way. You know,
0: I, you know, I agree. I, I drink it every year. I grew up
1: on it. It was like the first beer I had as a kid. So, you uh, know, it just sort of worked for me back then. I've stuck with it for 30 years.
0: Yeah, no. I still, I st- when I drink beer, I still, I that is my choice as well. So, I definitely get it. But I laugh about that. There, you know, that's just it was him. Um, you know, a lot of people. Uh, when I was talking to a friend today, um, he was saying just, yeah, how much he admired him, and um, I was like, yeah, I don't know if some of the new guys felt that same way, and he goes, you know. They loved him like a son who loves a father that disciplined them, but in a good way. Like he always was wanting to teach them, the younger guys, and make them better. He wasn't against teaching them and helping them, but he wasn't going to do it for them. Right. And um, I think, you know, sometimes that was maybe lost on some people, um, but his heart was always in the right place, um, as far as that. And, um, he wanted people to, to, to be the best that they, they could be. And, um, I've always admired that about him.
1: I know you have kids now. I think you said you had three. I'm not sure how old they are, but do they know about jock? Do you tell them about him?
0: Um, the two older ones do. Um, my kids are 11, yeah, 11, eight and six. So I have boy, girl, boy, the, our daughter tonight, um, because I just came back from a speaking thing and she was, you know, hearing me talk about him and and different things. She goes, "Well, um, I mean, my two daddies and my husband and I are like, you, what are you talking about?" She's like, "I have two daddies. I mean, one died, but I have." And we're like, "No, you have <laughs> one oh. daddy." So we're kind of like, "Okay, how much did she really understand of this whole thing?" My eleven-year-old understands it completely we've taken him to Arlington with us for the past. Um, we go up every year for, for laying of the wreaths and, um, is that where he's us. laid to rest? Yes. We okay. ended up moving him. Yes. Okay. Oh, gotcha. it. We okay. did end up moving him. Um, because I just, over time I was like, you know, he really needs to be with his brothers. Like that's where he's supposed to be. And so we moved him back And um, it, oddly enough, um, today, November 10th of, um, 2011. He was, um, buried at Arlington. So he's in section 60 up there. So we, um, we go up fiddling with Reese and our son, we've taken him for the past, I guess, three or four years. We took our daughter last year. Um, she joined us with it. And, um, I think we're taking all three this year. Um, I can't remember what Drew said. Um, but I, I, the SEAL Foundations do a lot for us. Um, they've developed some programs, um, weekend retreats for the different families and the surviving spouses and the kids, and um, those are really good for me because, you know, like we were talking earlier, there's times where I might need a day where I can just focus on what I've been through and and then there's days that I can't. And so going to these events just kind of helps me get that time um, that I need that little refresher, that, that bonding time with those, those women who, who get me, so to speak. Um, but I like being able to take my kids to wreaths because they're, they're meeting, you know, they're, they're forming friendships now with these kids who've lost their dads. And I feel that it gives them an appreciation, um, in the long run, they might not understand it now. Um, but to understand, you know, the sacrifices a lot of people make and you know, what, you are know, not to take for granted. So, uh, the older one definitely gets it. My daughter, you know, our daughter will, we'll see. And the six year old, I don't know. We'll see how that goes this year, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, I thank you for being so open and honest. Um, I, I know you said it gets easier for lack of a better term, but it's never easy. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you keeping Jacques memory alive, um, is a beautiful thing. Uh, and I, I, I see strength, you know, I see, I see fortitude, I see determination, I see uh, a whole lot of struggle. Um, but you describe it all with elegance, um, and, and dignity. And I think that, uh, for people listening, uh, you know, empathy is the best thing we can offer because not many of us uh, have to be in the situation that you are in. But from that standpoint, uh, I just, I'm glad I got to know a little bit about Jock and and your life now. And I think that that's a testament to uh, what he meant to you because you did what he wanted. You kept on living and you kept on growing and you made a life for yourself. And uh, however complex those days may be, uh, I'm sure that the blessings certainly outweigh all that for you.
0: Absolutely. So thank you.
1: Well, again, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. We wish you nothing but uh, wonderful blessings going forward and uh, to you and your family and your husband. Uh, we'll do our best to keep Jock's memory alive every single time. And I'm glad I got to hear the other side of this story because we focus so much on you know, what happened uh, to the guys on the ground that, that again, um, those guys on Turbine 33, that, that, that Chinook that went down, probably don't get enough uh, of the adoration that they deserve. And, and um, I'm thankful that you're willing to share this story with us. I really am.
0: Oh, thank you. And yeah, that's my goal. Not that they need, you know, the the praise, but, you know, just that their names aren't forgotten as well.
1: Well, Shar, Fontaine Westfall, thank you so much for being part of the Hazard Ground. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show,
0: send us an email at producer at hazardground.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.